Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. So, preaching through Romans, this will be the third sermon on chapter 1. So much in here. Definitely can't do a whole chapter per per sermon like I do for a lot of a lot of the time. <clears throat> Pardon me. Romans, uh, we, we'll be preaching Romans 22 through 32. Now, the first one, the first week was. You know, the main emphasis was on that reality that we are saved by faith. That wonderful reality that we don't have to earn our way to heaven. We don't have to check so many boxes. We don't have to do so many things. The pagan religions, if you sacrifice enough, if you you, uh, you beat yourself up enough, if you give enough, do enough, then maybe you'll be considered uh, for heaven. Maybe your sins will be forgiven. Uh, that's not the case. And we know the reality is, according to God's word, just trusting in Jesus Christ is sufficient uh, for salvation. And But for that to mean something, Paul then had to make the case that we were in fact lost. We, there's a depravity that takes place. And, and first, the first four verses I preached on last week I uh, talked about start of the depravity with that, you know, ha- having known God once and, and, and then lo- turned away from that knowledge, turned away from God and getting into verses 22 to 32, really I call the path of folly. Now the word folly isn't used very often these days, so let me just kind of refresh your memory on what that means, folly is all about. It's it's a costly and or unprofitable undertaking. Undertaking, not undertaking. Uh, and it, it, it's it's absurd. Folly is absurdity. It's craziness. It's foolishness. It's idiocy. It's madness. It's recklessness and silliness. It is complete waste. And that's what folly is. And there's a path of folly people take. When they turn away from God. <clears throat> and I've seen when they turn away, not just from God, but from his truth, from his principles in God's word. And I've seen it time and again. I thought about the time that I was in uh, stationed in Korea. A lot of guys were using that time away from their families as an excuse to fool around. And there were certain places that it was really easy to do that, and, and I wouldn't go there. And a guy, one of the guys asked me why. And I said, well, if it looks like a bear trap, why would I stick my foot in it? And he's like, yeah, I get that. Well, later, uh, a week or so later, he said, hey, Underwood, guess what? I stepped in a bear trap. Ha, 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 ha. He thought that was real funny. And within a month or two, he was 
working on processing his divorce. I remember I, I watching um, a young man uh, get, become infatuated with a girl and, and everybody told him, don't marry her. Her own grandparents told him not to. Her own pastor told him not to. His dad told him not to. That she's not, her heart is not with God. Don't marry her. And ignored everybody, continued on that path of folly, and their life ended up in tragedy and divorce. Broken lives. I remember telling one teenage girl, her, her, uh, she, her dad was going to be away and, and, and she was going to have opportunity to easy opportunity to be alone with her boyfriend. And I said, be careful. And she got offended at that. She didn't tell me. She just kind of nodded her head. But later she complained to somebody else. How dare Pastor Darrow Pastor tell me to be careful? Well, you know what? She ended up getting pregnant. The path of folly. Over and over again, uh, it's painful. It really is painful. I feel like I'm 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 at the near a cliff, and I keep trying to warn people as they're racing towards the cliff, and they completely ignore me and just launch themselves over the cliff over and over and over again. It is painful to watch people walk down this path of folly. And it's outlined so clearly in the Bible as an attempt to warn people of it. And let's, let's, let's get into that then, beginning with verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Pretty short verse, huh? But pretty profound. They claimed to be wise, and but yet they became fools. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think it's safe to say then that the dismissal of the Lord is the beginning of folly. When we stop taking God seriously and decide, well, he's a nice old man in the sky, but I'm just going to do what I want to do, we begin this path of folly. A great example of men professing to be wise but really becoming fools is found in an article published in September 1976 in National Geographic entitled The Awesome Worlds Within a Cell. And the authors describe the the complexity of the cell. There's no such thing as a simple one-celled organism. Even the simplest cell has turned out to be a micro-universe, they wrote. Then uh, they read, well, this is a major problem of biology. How did this complexity arise? And they, they, they still confront this deep and basic mystery of science. How did it all begin? Then the article continues at how, and talks about how the quote-unquote experts answer this by spreading it all to chance and say, well, given it enough time, anything can happen. 
you know, that really of ourselves. We have no wisdom to direct our feet. We're blind and ignorant without God's word to guide us, without his Holy Spirit to guide us. We're weak and helpless and utterly unable to find our way to God. We know that any wisdom which does not come from God is folly. James really said it well. If I can get it. Chapter 3, begin with verse 13. Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So any strength not divinely wrought in the soul is in fact weakness. All knowledge that does not spring from the Lord's own teaching in the conscience is the depth of ignorance. The world has their own way of thinking, their own philosophy. And it goes like this, that the idea that human beings are basically good. That no one is really lost. That belief in Jesus is not necessary for salvation. But the Bible says that we are not basically good. That we're not really lost, or that we are really lost. And that Jesus Christ is necessary for salvation. Verse 23. Back in Romans. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. I, I, I mentioned last week the book Eternity in Their Hearts, which I absolutely love. It was just a neat book to read. And remember one of the stories I shared last week, I should have waited until this week to share, but I'll give the quick synopsis. A missionary went to a tribe in, in northern India, north of Calcutta, and, and this tribe was completely pagan. They, they were worshiping demons and uh, spirits and practicing sorcery and, and all kinds of stuff. And he began to talk about God, and they were like, oh, you mean the genuine God? And he was shocked. He said, you know about the genuine God? They said, yes, our father's used to practice or used to worship the genuine God. And he's like, well, why don't you do that now? And they told him the story how they, they came, they were traveling through a valley and they got stuck. They weren't sure which way to go. 
and and they got scared and they forgot you know they they in that in that moment of fear they instead of praying and asking help from God they 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 began to pray to the spirits of the mountains and said if you'll if you'll lead us out we will bind ourselves to you and we will serve you and from there they they left worshiping the true God and began worshiping demons and those spirits and and all this other stuff, doing very exactly what this verse says. Now, the wonderful thing is when they realized that God had not forgotten them, they turned to him, and, and it, at very soon, 80 people were being baptized a day. Thousands were turning to Christ. What happens if we cease fellowship with God? Paul outlines exactly what happens. We end up worshiping a self-made God. Notice this downward progression, the man, then birds and animals, and lower and lower down the, in life form, abasing ourselves more and more. You see, we haven't, as mankind, we haven't evolved. We've devolved. Whoever turns from God ends up devolving. Verse 24, Therefore God delivered them over to the cravings of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. I like how the Amplified Version says, abandoning them to the degrading power of sin. And here, God, God delivered them over, or your version may say, God gave them over. This has to be one of the most frightening verses in the Bible. This reality that you know, God will do what he can to bring you uh, to him, to get you to surrender to him, confess and forsake your sins, and turn from your evil ways. But then at some point, God says enough and lets you just do what you want to do and turns you over to the power of sin, authority of sin. God respects our wishes. Notice this relationship of sin and wrath. God's showing his wrath by delivering them over to this, this uh, horrible, these horrible sins. Continuing uh, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Notice that the word exchange is very interesting. The, the Greek word that comes from uh, makes it very clear that that exchange is a deliberate choice. It's on purpose. It's not an accident. They didn't, just trip, they didn't just mistakenly decide to do evil. They made this deliberate choice. They exchanged the truth they knew for a lie. 
We're seeing that a lot right now. And worship is something the worship the creator instead of or worship the creation instead of the creator. And of course, Jesus himself talked about the conflict between that. You can't do that. You can't serve both. It's either or. And they knew that. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters for either will hate the one and love the other, or who hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So they, they ignored the truth and, and held on to a lie and began to worship the creation instead of the, the one who created this progression, this path of folly. And then it continues to get worse in, in verse 26. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. God delivered them over. That word gave, gave over to, uh, to give someone over to the power and authority of another. Be like the, the transferring of someone as a prisoner. The cops came and, 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 and arrested Cody. We would deliver him over to the cop. He'd be under their authority and their power. And that's exactly what this word is saying, that God gave them over to the, the power and authority of sin. These degrading passions, these fleshly passions rise up and become stronger and stronger. These these degrading passions, talk, we know these degrading passions, we're talking about homosexuality, homosexual behavior. And the sin that's, that is condemned in Scripture, in Genesis 19.5, Leviticus 18.22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28, Deuteronomy 23.17 and 8, Judges 19.22, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Ephesians 4, 19, and 5, 12, 1 Timothy 1, 10, and finally Jude 1, verses 7 and 10, all condemn homosexual behavior. Why did Paul talk about this? Well, it's, it's the path of folly. But Paul did not write this in, in, in a vacuum of immorality. This sin of homosexuality was all around him at that time. In Corinth, that's where he was when he wrote this. It was, it was a sin. It was a Las Vegas of Asia. Greek culture taught that homosexual love was the purest and highest of loves. Many high-born Greeks maintain male lovers uh, along with their wives. And it was no different for, for Rome. Fourteen of the first 15 emperors were homosexuals. According to biblical revelation, what we see around us means that our culture is on the skids. If God doesn't intervene, if we don't see 
another great awakening. I wish we'd had, it's been a long time since we've had a, a, a nationwide revival. I would love to see that. And I pray that God would have mercy on us and, and allow that to happen. Verse 27, the males in the same way also left natural relations with females, were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Homosexuality was so, was, as I mentioned, was extremely common in first century Rome. And uh, it, it it was often spoken of without shame by Roman writers, and it was prohibited neither by religion nor law. It was acknowledged in the Bible. It's acknowledged those who practiced it were, were proud of it. Sound familiar? In fact, you can find in Isaiah 3.9, Jeremiah 6.15, 8.2, Zephaniah 3.5, and Philippians 3.19, all profess that those who practice Homosexuality are proud in doing so. It is no accident that word is very popular. Verse 27. I read that already. Um, We're seeing a lot of, uh, we're seeing something new that we haven't had to deal with as Christians for a long time in the U.S. That, that publicly condemning a sexual sin is becoming a dangerous thing to do. We just recently, just this past week, a CEO lost his job for making fun of a boy, who, a teenage boy who was wearing a dress. Now, I would, I would not make fun of him for two things, two reasons. One is I don't, I don't cast pearls to swine. I, those who don't care about the Bible, those sinners, I preach, I preach the gospel to. And second, mocking, making fun of, it's a wrong spirit. If I, if I communicated to him my concern, it would be out of a broken heart. The sadness and concern and love for the young man. I was the CEO was making fun of him and ended up losing his job. It's, it's this cancel culture is, is continuing anybody they possibly can to shut up about anything anybody is doing. But this isn't a new problem, by the way. It's been going on for a long time. In fact, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, once wrote, I find it impossible to avoid offending guilty men, for there is no way of avoiding it by our silence or their patience. And silent we cannot be because of God's command. And patient they cannot be because of their guilt. There's always this conflict. There's this constant battle between those who speak the truth and those who want to believe a lie. Mm. 
verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. Worthless as in folly. What? To, to, to continue doing what is morally wrong. Let them continue to let them sin. The Amplified Bible has it written thus, and so, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or approve of Him or consider Him worth the knowing, God gave them over to a base and condemned mind to do things not proper or decent but loathsome. A writer by the name of Hodge says something really interesting. Talk about true heathenism. When we talk about heathens, we all, you know, for me, I can't speak for everybody, but I tend to think of very pagan people, like some backwoods tribe living in grass huts. But a heathen is anybody who does not think it's worth the trouble to retain the knowledge of God. They don't think it's worth even considering. They, don't, they consider religion to be useless and suppose they can just live without God. And we know a lot of people who right now uh, are doing their best to be content to just live without God. And, and I, you know, I know these people, I have friends and family I've known for decades. And once in a great while, they might make a comment like, you know, I really need to get back to God. Or I, I probably should go to church. I really need to go back to church. But that's all it, as far as it goes. So many people live without God. Isaiah talked about the sadness of it, of this in Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's exactly what they do. And they're so unhappy and miserable They're so miserable. But they just refuse to do what they know they need to do in order to find peace. I want my way. It's a tragedy. This is a tragedy. Verse 29 begins this laundry list of sins that covers uh, in the entire gamut of life, the, in, the, in, every aspect of life, be it in the home, the family, marriage, workplace, the church, I think, I think we can say that no area of life is left unaffected when someone decides to turn their back on God. Let's go through this list real quick. We're getting to the end of our time here. They're filled with all unrighteousness. Now that word right, unrighteousness, that the Greek word that comes from, 
makes it very clear that's relating to one's heart and life. So their internal life and their external life. They're just permeated, saturated with unrighteousness. And then there's evil. They're filled with evil. The Greek word from that is interesting. It's pornea. I'm sure you could figure out what English words we uh, derive from pornea. So it's sexual sins. And then there's greed, filled with greed. You know, I recently, I've been, I've been listening to, I listen to audiobooks when I do yard work or wash the cars or whatever. And I'm listening to an audiobook on Thomas Jefferson, um, Fascinating Life. Uh, but one thing was interesting, it talked about how early on in the U.S., slavery was, was not really a thing. Early on, you know, few had slaves, but it was not common at all. The common thing was indentured servitude. Very much like joining the military. You sign a contract, you work for so many years, and when you're done working for those years, usually the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, boss, um, would, the employer, uh, would, would give you uh, a piece of land of your own. That was usually the deal. How did it switch from indentured servitude to slavery? Greed. Greed. That Virginia, particularly, uh, uh, their crops became really popular. Uh, they discovered tobacco. That became really popular. And, uh, and they needed more and more hands to work it. And, and by the way, um, con- living conditions were, were better. One thing that, that the employers liked about indentured servitude is it was very hard work and, and rough conditions. And often the, those who signed themselves up didn't live to see the benefit of their work. So they got free labor. But once people started living long enough to get it, oh, this is costing us a little more. And so slavery was a better way to make more money. So it was greed. They're filled with greed. And then also filled with wickedness in verse 29. Webster, uh, Mr. Webster had some interesting thoughts on, on, on the word wicked. That, that word is uh, derived from the word wicca, by the way. Meaning sorcerer. And it's morally very bad, marked by mischief, disgustingly unpleasant, causing or likely to cause harm, distress, or trouble. We have, have you noticed society has tried very hard to make wicked not seem so wicked? Mischievous used to mean evil. Now, I, oh, you're that little scamp. You know, you're just, you're just mischievous. Used to be mean evil. Wicked. Now, wickedness is, oh, you know, it's.
They're full and continues on. Uh, they're full. And that word full, that Greek word that comes from is relating to the mind. One's thoughts and emotions. So where are they focused their, their thoughts and emotions on? What does it say? Envy. They're unhappy with someone else's success. Murder. Actual murder or, or murder of the heart, as Jesus talked about it, hating someone. You see murder now of, of many, many babies, millions of babies. This continual fight for the right to continue to murder them. Their thoughts and, and, and emotions are also focused on quarrels, fighting, arguments, strife. We see this a lot. I see it a lot on Facebook. Deceit. Their thoughts and feelings are focused on lying. A lot of people say, oh, you know, a little white lie is no big deal. It is a big deal. It's not true. A lot of people think you, you, you have to lie to get through life. It's not true. If I said I shouldn't say it, you shouldn't say it. Malice. Another one. Their, their thoughts and emotions are focused on malice. What's malice? Malice is evil thoughts and feelings towards someone you desire to hurt them. I want to see this person suffer. That's malice. Continue, continue. They're gossips. Gossip is sharing true or false information about someone to another without any uh, valuable purpose. Or, you, know, you know, I have to be care, very careful as a pastor because when somebody starts sharing their secret with me, I have to first make sure they want me, are they sharing me because they want me to do something about it? Or are they gossiping? They're just gossiping. I don't want to hear it. Verse 30, slanders continues on. Those who speak evil of another. God-haters They go from, on the road to folly, they go from dismissing God, God is not important in my life, to I hate God. Very strong feelings against, against him. They're arrogant, proud, and boastful. Those three kind of seem to all go along together. Arrogant, they have no reason they put themselves, they're completely mistaken in how important they really are. They're proud of it and they're going to boast and tell everybody about how, how wonderful they are, how much good they do. 
And this one woman who every time she did any little good thing, she'd always post it on Facebook. Oh, I did this. I did that. Looking for pats on the backs, likes. Inventors of evil. So not only do they, you know, do what's common, they find new ways of doing evil things. Disobedience of parents. They hate all authority. Verse 31, they're, they're, they're undiscerning. That means they, they don't understand. They're also untrustworthy. You can't trust them. Unloving. Unmerciful. Verse 32, although they know full well God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. They know the end result of their sin. They not only do them, but they, man, they get excited. In fact, that, uh, plot, that, that Greek phrase literally means they take pleasure in. Oh, they love it. Bravo. Shout your abortion. That was a thing for a while. A lot of others who practice them. Are you on this downward spiral? God said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We don't have to go down that path. And any moment, we can wake up and, and like the prodigal son, Say, wait a minute. This is not right. Thank God I, I realized that at 17. I realized living life my own way was not going to work out so well for me. And I surrendered myself to God and said, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. And I have not regretted that at all to this day. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.